Like we were going up and down. She did fall first. Five o'clock she was So I expect no less from all of you. And we'll get on to the minutes from last week of that, which was five weeks ago, which was this house building women impose their own glass ceiling. So I'd like to see what we I'll propose a motion and private members to move them. <laughs> <laughs> the third Finn, please. Right. <laughs> I will. The 13th ordinary meeting of the 167th session of the Literary and Scientific Society took place on the 10th of March 2016 and was attended by 36 members. The motion of the evening was this house believes women impose their own glass seal. Opening the case with the proposition of Miss Catherine Schwartz, she began by stating that everyone agrees that there is a disparity between the opportunities for men and women in the Western world. However, she stated that the issue was more complex than simply attributing it to a specific gender, stating that it requires a nuanced feminist analysis. She stated that studies have shown that both men and women are 40% less likely to hire a woman than a man for the same position, which led Miss Schwartz to conclude that there was in fact a double glazing of the glass ceiling contributing contribute to by men and women alike. Opening for the opposition was FC President Keith McNeil, who began with some statistics to convey how unrepresented women are in society. Just 21 of the 108 MLAs are female, with just 4% of Fortune 500 members being women. She claimed that what was needed to combat this equality in workplace representation was to follow the example of the Republic of Ireland and introduce the gender quotas, which have seen a 40% increase in women in high-ranking occupations in society. She stated that in order to move on from the male stale and pale in Northern Ireland, we needed to combat a toxic masculinity which so pervades the workplace. Continuing the case of the proposition was a maiden speaker, Miss Orla Lofgren Hayes. She began with a guaranteed crowd pleaser by quoting literary favourite Katie Hopkins. <laughs> Misogyny is a disguise for saying business is too tough for me. She claimed that studies have shown that one third of women will avoid jobs where they will be the centre of attention due to a lack of confidence. She claimed that women will create their own glass ceiling through reality shows such as Keeping Up with the Kardashians, who for some reason seem to come up every week at the lyrics, <laughs> which was leading women to spending more time on their makeup than their homework. Quote. Speaking second for the opposition was Miss Evie Watts, who stated that the motion was ridiculous. She informed the House that there were five strong women at the table that evening, asserting that to be a female in 2016 takes serious balls. In response to the proposition, Ms. Evie Watts, uh, Ms. Evie Watts asked why on earth it was important women that they are made to feel unconfident in society, as well as lamenting, uh, as well as lamenting the fact that idea that women need to remain at home, which is still preached by some in our society. <clears throat> she concluded by saying that society punishes women for having children, and that the idea that women should be blamed for their oppression is not welcome in the modern age. Concluding the proposition was Ms. Gemma Callum, who claimed that the patriarchy in our country is created by men and reinforced by women. She asserted that the opposition were degrading women, they were disregarding women parties, as being non-autonomous beings incapable of making decisions for themselves, and that each woman will experience a different definition of what was the glass ceiling. She claimed that women need to band together and not impose gender roles on themselves, and that to award men alone with the power to dictate the female population was a ludicrous concept. Concluding the opposition and so the debate was to carry Van Lincoln. He would bluntly claim that the proposition had made no valid arguments and had instead done the opposition's job for them by insisting on blaming women for their own problems in breaking through the glass ceiling. 
He asserted society created an environment for women which undermines their self-esteem, leading female employees to shy away from new opportunities and interviews, creating a self-perpetuating belief in the process. <coughs> the debate then moved to the forum where questions were heard from Jamie Cargill, Finbar Rogers, Sophia Neff, Jamie Rinani, Connor Kelly, Finbar Rogers, Joe Bishop, and Mr. Ben Murphy. A vote based on House opinion was taken beforehand on the motion. This House believes women have raised their own glass ceiling, which read eight eyes, 18 nays, and nine abstentions. And finally, a casting vote based on speaker's performance was taken, which read four eyes, seven nays, and nine abstentions. May I take the minutes as read? Uh, thank you. that no one knows, but it is a good one. Objection, seconded. Objection. <laughs> seconded, okay. Um, I believe there's no opposition to that. Objection. Objection. Oh. Chris Pratt. <laughs> yes, Chris Pratt. <laughs> opposed with the condition of Mr. Pintbar Rogers if he leaves that seat before the end of the debate, opposed the house to bottle of court. Ooh. He leaves it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Anyone second that amendment to the motion? Second it. <laughs> okay. Um, any any thoughts? What you've done what you've done there is you've given Finbar a platform to one be a nuisance and two buy alcohol. He does this every week. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't buy alcohol for us every week. Uh, he does that all up until one point where we have to threaten him. Can, can you put an appropriate in that the port must be shared amongst the members? <laughs> okay, does anybody accept that? That Finn stays, if Finn stays there, he has to buy port for the society? I would like to close that amendment. Sure. He may not remove his hands from the armrests or open his mouth. <laughs> 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 he may not remove your hands from the armrests or open his mouth. <laughs> if we could just use it as a pillory, when we have that in lieu of the bottle of port, and just throw things out. Objection to Finn's motion on the grounds that it is a very comfortable seat, and I know for a fact that it's that you be sitting down. Clarification for the uh, the listeners, of which we have like hundreds. Um, <laughs> Stay safe out there. <laughs> Um, Finn is sitting on the throne uh, directly up, or directly behind the speaker um, this evening of, I mean, nobody knows why, nobody knows why, not even Finn. Um, so I think, okay, so have we moved on to, did we second your amendment? I'll second them. So you have to not speak and sit with your hands in your armrests. Hmm? <laughs> if an amendment is seconded, then we don't get a vote on the original motion. Yeah. Is that I think you can propose to go back to the original. No, I think you can propose to go back to right. the original. 
I'm not sure if I care enough to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody we'll else would like to we'll be We'll just take a vote on whether Fennel moves. Does that make What a motion. <laughs> whether he will. So yeah. it just like I believe, I believe, we're, I believe we're on Chris, Chris Bratt's uh, proposal. Well, no, I, I seconded Stefan's yeah. amendment. Has Finn proposed a rejection by saying no? Did anyone second that? <laughs> Did anyone, anyone second that? No. Anyone no. no. second? Bring it back. Uh, <laughs> no. You're not even second, though. Anyone want to second that? Grant. Okay, so we're on steps. Um, so, okay, we're going to take a vote on whether Finn should remain in the seat, and if he does, he has to buy the society a bottle of court, but he also has to not say anything and keep his hands on the armrests. We need two votes for that, that <laughs> No, but it's an, it's an amendment to the amendment, so it's supplemented. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you're speaking, so... Yes! <laughs> Wasn't the amendment... He has to remain in his seat, but if he does not, he has yeah. to yeah. Yes. Oh, he does not and, and the amendment is if, if he removes his hand, hands from the armrest, his palms have to be under the armrest. Yeah. If he removes them, or opens his mouth, <laughs> or gets up, he has to buy the society out of the court. This is the problem of democracy. We'll just go leave it. All of those who think that <laughs> 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 We're turning into <laughs> ultra raging front. <laughs> so, fuck this and go. No! Damn it! He gets fined anyway for swearing, I hope. Yes, uh, I believe that Mr. Finbar and you have been fined a bottle of port for that swear word that you sort of explained about their recording. All, all, all that effort. All that effort. As well. So, uh, thank you. Um, I believe the conversation will be an appropriate time to have that. Uh, have a seat, gentlemen. <laughs> um, okay, any other points of prayer member business? Anybody? Yes. I would like to say that we should not speak ill of our own members and their probability of getting sloshed at an upcoming formal. Here, <laughs> Second. Second. Okay, fair enough. Apologies, Lily, but. <laughs> um, any other points of prayer member business? Uh, yeah, more, more a question to the uh, House, actually. Uh, it's kind of a serious one, actually. Uh, in series of the recent Brussels attacks and the Paris attacks that preceded them, and GCHQ actually finding intelligence of possible London attacks, should Europe, does this House believe that Europe should rethink its Schengen policy in favour of a more pragmatic border policy? Okay, thank you very much. Any points on that topic? No. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I, I think um, Schengen is really critical to uh, Europe's uh, single currency. And if we uh, abandon Schengen and we have difficulty in uh, getting, uh, getting the workforce able to move two jobs uh, in place of asymmetric shocks to the economy. So let's say Spain's doing badly, we want as few barriers as possible. Let's say if Germany's doing well and Spain's doing badly, then Spanish workers can move to Germany so that the, because it's all under one, Monetary policy of the European Central Bank. Um, well, I, I think Schengen is important. Let's see. Okay. Well, the Eurozone and Schengen are two separate agreements, and although they've got a close relationship within the EU apparatus, what we're seeing here is what's been brought up specifically: security policy, in particular with regard to border management. Um, places like Greece have fallen into complete and utter administrative chaos, and while we continue to walk, like almost have a blind eye to this 
problem and we don't institute temporary measures to control the, the issues at hand, the whole, you know, the whole house of cards is going to collapse in particular, which includes the Eurozone. It's, it, this needs temporary management, regardless of how you think that's related to the wider European agreements. I would like to comment that border controls have been introduced now on virtually every border and borders in Southern Europe are closed and you can't get past without rigorous checks on every single crossing. And even on borders between Poland and Germany there are now border checks <coughs> regularly. Sure. So that's a temporary measure that could might solve the problem. Sure, yeah, I was aware of that, but what I was more talking about... Yeah, I was aware of that, but I was talking more about... Uh, see, most of those policies are more country-specific, and it's not really a, a Europe-wide effort. That's what I was really talking more about. But yeah, sure, I take the point. Yes? Well, the European Union also has a very extensive intelligence network itself. Um, do you pull by not having any powers in and of itself of arrest or anything? Does use its Not necessarily based on Schengen, obviously, I know that, but um, if you lose that sort of, those sort of connections, you know, you might lose some sort of intelligence that might be involved. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, furthermore, I think it's important to realise that where the terrorists that were actually, or that committed terrorist acts in Paris, um, then uh, lived in Brussels and eventually went back to Brussels, you also see when, it wasn't, when they were unable to from terrorist attack in Paris that they could also choose Brussels as a target. So I don't think that closing borders within the EU is necessarily going to um, decrease all terrorism. It just, yeah, because there's undoubtedly also terrorist cells active in France that might choose targets in France. On that point. Um, well, one last question. Yeah. Well, specifically with regard to the Paris ones, I'm not too much sure about the details in the Brussels ones. But the, both the people who were involved in it and the weapons that were used were uh, smuggled through from the former Yugoslav countries using the Free Borders Agreement. So although it, it, it's impossible to say whether this specific one might have been prevented by specific measures in like Brussels and French border, but with, it, it, is, it is unquestionable to say that the current situation has enabled what has happened. If I may add just one more, I know time's tight, we can finish the bar after it. Then we'll finish the bar afterwards. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was, um, it's interesting, it's also in the light of the migrant crisis, as everyone's aware of and all the rest of it. Uh, and there's many different points of view, both sides, and I think they have merit in each. But uh, there was also a recent statistic I think I should bring up more in the line of uh, terrorism and difference of ideas. Uh, was that the current uh, Swedish, uh, Sweden, there were statistics released from there that uh, it is now, and I say this uh, just with no implication or implying anything else, it is now the rape capital of Europe. Its rape um, ratings have gone up 1,400%. And it's the second, in the second only to Lenosa in South Africa in the world currently. Deserves a response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, this is definitely the final one, but this response is, to that. This is largely due to uh, 
its rate has increased in Sweden, but this is largely due to uh, changes in the law of what is regarded as rape. And it's, you also can't really compare countries because they all have different laws on it. And in Sweden, it's quite a special case because if, say, a husband rapes their wife 300 times, that's listed as 300 cases of rape, whereas in another country it would be counted as one. Okay, thank you. Um, we'll move on to, uh, have we any final private members business? Yes. So, may we all congratulate Poland on their lowest rate cases in Europe? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, so I'm going to second that motion. Would you congratulate Poland on having the lowest number of rape cases in Europe? No. That's, thank that's, you. That's, that's actually quite a good thing to do, but it just sounds dodgy. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> Yeah, well done! Like an endorsement of Poland's current government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I have one from Mr. Ben Murphy on the, the uh, from Twitter. Uh, ben Murphy has a motion to banish Mr. Rogers to the black hole of Calcutta. <laughs> Mr. Finn Rogers to the black I don't think the logistics of such an accident to be honest. Oh, there's always one. <laughs> <laughs> we can try. I, th <laughs> I think it's been filled in since the 18th century, but we can okay. check. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to go to the For me, or about the society, or the wider council. No, great. Okay. We will um, get started with today's debate then, uh, which is this house would digest from fossil fuels. Um, so, okay, same rules as always. Seven minutes speeches, first announcement are protected, um, and stand up, say on the point, say on the point, ma'am. If you want to ask a question, no barking, on the floor, I will shout at you. Um, and we'll have questions and answers at the end. I believe that's all it is. So, um, I would like to welcome the first speaker for tonight, is Kion. Thank you. Fossil fuels. They're bad. They're not good. That's it. Thank you. So, the motion is this house would divest from fossil fuels, uh, which means, basically, we disinvest in fossil fuel companies like Exxon and the rest. And what I have here is a big list of statistics and science that says why exactly fossil fuel companies are a big terrible thing and we should not give them any more of our money. But first a quick rundown on what a fossil fuel is and by extension what the greenhouse gases are. So a fossil fuel is, as the name might imply, a fuel made of a fossil. Yeah. Uh, so we got coal, gas, oil. Sometimes methane, sometimes it's not a fossil fuel, that's how it's produced. And they're used as fuels, again, as the name might imply. And generally we set fire. This releases carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the environment. What a greenhouse gas does is it traps heat in the atmosphere. And that's not very good, as it turns out. Uh, just in case you're not sure that there's a scientific consensus on that. There is. Okay. 97.1% of scientists agree. We're doing global warming and it's all our fault. 
And the only people who disagree are people who have no idea about the climate or are outrageously paid off by oil companies. Uh, so you probably don't really want to listen to them. Anyway, at the minute, we've managed to heat the planet about a degree above pre-industrial levels, which doesn't sound like much, but it's actually caused quite a lot of bad things to happen, such as a third of the summer ice in the Arctic melting, the oceans becoming 30% uh, more acidified, and also just a slight increase in sea level, and uh, increase in intense weather patterns, which is to say that they get more intense, not that they become more common, uh, like hurricanes. They're getting worse. And as it turns out, uh, all this is worse than expected. There were models for this, and they have been just blown out of the water, relatively speaking. And we're trying to limit things to two degrees above warming. That might not actually be enough to stop things from going horribly wrong, but it's a target we've set anyway. Uh, if we stop all fossil fuel usage right now, we'd end up with about 1.6 degrees of global warming, because there's a bit of a feedback effect. It takes about 100 years for carbon dioxide to get out of the atmosphere. So everything that's there will continue making things hotter for quite a while. Uh, we have about 565 gigatons of carbon, approximately, to use before things go horribly wrong. It turns out, if you account for all the reserves that are accounted for in every oil company across the world, they're planning on burning about six times that. Uh, yeah. That's not going to end too well. Uh... Oh, that's sir. Go on. Most of the oil reserves discovered by oil companies are completely unextractable and they will require more energy to extract than you actually get out from them. That doesn't mean they're not trying to extract them. Oh, oh, no, this is accounted for in their share price. And incidentally, their share price is what divesting from actually, you know, cares about. They're planning on burning about 3,000 gigatons worth of carbon. And that's why we should divest from them, so they don't. So, yeah, if we do end up burning all that, most of the planet's going to become uninhabitable. The sea levels will rise quite a bit. Humanity will be literally incapable of adapting to the level of heat, as it turns out. So we'll literally die of being too warm. Yes. Um, are you saying that um, people can't survive um, if, if the temperature will be two degrees what hotter? What I'm saying is that if the temperature was six degrees hotter, which is what we're predicting at the end of the century. Uh, human habitability in a lot of areas would be pushed to its limit, if not exceeded. Uh, I probably didn't word that very well, but I read a paper. Okay, and also, uh, everything we eat, like, well, not everything we eat, but quite a lot of what we eat is quite dependent on the climate. Uh, because Obviously, it, everything grows in the current climate, and if that climate were to change, suddenly things would stop growing, and then we wouldn't have anything to eat, and then we'd die. Uh, so, as what that means basically is that we need to stop digging up fossil fuels, and it would be quite nice if we stopped burning quite as much as I want we have. Quite a lot at the minute of the greenhouse gas and atmosphere are caused by industry, 
and transport and agriculture as well. Most of it. Out of those three you just mentioned, quite large, massive portion, like 80%, it is agriculture, and a lot of that is it. Well, it is. A lot of it is intensive. Is intensely farmed in developing countries. If you divest from their uh, industrial development, that will affect, essentially put them in a feedback loop of poverty. Okay, but uh, greenhouse gas contribution is about 15% agriculture, 15% transport, and 60% industry. So it's 80% agriculture wouldn't really be accurate. Anyway, yes, fossil fuel companies. They're spending money on extracting fossil fuels. As it turns out, we don't really want them to do that, so we should stop giving money to the fossil fuel companies so that they stop digging up fossil fuels and setting fire to and thereby metaphorically setting fire to the planet. Uh, yeah. I think that's everything. I don't really have time to get into the rest of this. <laughs> 25 seconds? Yeah, 25 <laughs> seconds, okay. <laughs> we just wanted to end that. Uh, Arctic ice caps melting has real more ice, and the fossil fuel company's response to this is to go and drill off that oil as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for that speech. Um, I'd like to commend you on your maiden speech for uh, really getting into the literific spirit. Um, <laughs> I'd like to welcome opening for the opposition is Mr. Jeremy Mueller. So let's see if something somewhat sensible comes out of this um, this speech. Uh, it was kind of a collage of all sorts of different ideas, but uh, I'm sure it will be good. <laughs> no, first of all. <laughs> First of all, I'm really happy that we're having this debate. I, I think it's important in the context of the university and, and beyond, especially because we did have this whole fossil-free QED movement. And, and I think I think this, the, the society or society like this, if people want to have another debate in society, that they can start their own. I think it's important. <laughs> it's important for, for our for our um, for our actions to start with with discussing things, with looking at them in detail, analyzing them, and trying to understand what some what the implications of our actions are. I would like to start with a, just, a, just a point of response more than rebuttal. We generally agree, as the opposition, that fossil fuels, as they are used now, have certain effects that are far from desirable. And we're not debating the existence of global warming with this debate. What we are considering, however, is the question of whether the continued use of fossil fuels is irreconcilable with with taking action on the environment, taking action, taking steps to make sure that we can sustain our current level of economic productivity while also not destroying the environment that we depend on for it. And I would like to argue that this is possible. And I would like to start by talking about a few misconceptions. First misconception that is often the case um, in this kind of debate is that fossil fuels are necessarily dirty and that they are one thing. This simply isn't the case. We can have discussions about the effects of burning coal, but then even coal can be subdivided into anthracite and lignite. We can talk about natural gas reserves being burned. We can talk about complete combustion or expensive machinery that ensures complete combustion or machinery that doesn't. We can talk about filtration systems. 
I, I would like to add a little bit more color to this often black and white debate and just analyze in detail some things such as the combustion of methane. Essentially, if you have natural gas reserves, which the UK has plenty of, and natural gas is one of the main sources of our energy currently, it's a, an important source. If you have a complete combustion of methane, what, the only byproducts you're getting are water vapor, water vapor, and carbon dioxide. Now, the key problem is not that carbon dioxide is a poisonous bad gas, but that there is an imbalance between the amount that is produced and the amount that is currently able to be absorbed by the environment. And what we propose is that there are some solutions with this. There are some solutions in the form of carbon capture and storage. Um, another thing that is called um, carbon offsetting, which is essentially, essentially replanting areas of land with vegetation in order to help absorb excess carbon emissions and indeed filtration, and new technologies are coming out all the time. But first, before I go on to that, I would like to just emphasize that there are a few disadvantages to the supposedly green technologies that some people like to advocate as a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, the, first, the first being that they are not entirely practical. If you set up, for instance, a solar power plant, or many solar panels in Norway, as has been done in Germany, unfortunately, quite unsuccessfully, what happens is that the peak power production is actually just afternoon, while peak energy consumption tends to be around the evening. You, if you have a situation also in the wintertime where solar power is at its lowest, while energy <coughs> demands are at their highest, and the same goes similar for wind power. What we have with fossil fuels, if we can manage the carbon dioxide outputs, is a consistently reliable source of energy, whereas unfortunately we do not have as of yet the technology to, that is necessary for, um, for, storing, for storing the energy that would be produced in peak times with um, renewables that we have currently. So let's say, let's say um, batteries that are too expensive to wait on. On that point, sir? Ah, yes, go ahead. Uh, your, reference, your reference to peak times um, suggests that we're not going to have any form of our consumption patterns, but that is always eligible for green arguments as well as replacing the source of energy. I see. So reform of reform of our reform of our actions is important. I I, I concur with. I agree with you there. Um, but uh, essentially, there are certain things that are not easily changed, such as the work pattern. People go to work during the day, and when they come home, they want to watch TV. They want to cook their meal. Um, while I completely agree that most of um, let's say industry is not as rhythm dependent as um, the average lifestyle of people, I I think there are some things that simply cannot be changed with a, with, a, with a good argument for it. But let's also look at some of the, uh, well, let's look at renewables. The, the technology actually requires a lot of what we call rare earth minerals, which um, tends to be mined in open pit mines, and um, notably China, Mongolia, and Baotau. This is the town in Mongolia, I saw a BBC report. Just, just take a look, you have these open, <laughs> open pit mines, essentially lakes of sludge that are being at, uh, where, where toxic liquid is pumped into the, into the nearest valley and toxic waste is being spewed into the air. You have this kind of mining which enables us to cheaply, or rel I mean, it would be more expensive otherwise, to produce these kind of renewable technologies. But in the end, overall, we're getting a picture that's not complete because we have the supposedly green technology here and the problems left somewhere else. So a few problems with renewables, my colleague Stefan will go into the details of the problems of the economics of it, the price. But I would just like to say that um, if we try methods like carbon offsetting, 
planting trees essentially to absorb, absorb carbon dioxide from the air. If we, if we um, if, if what we did, with it, including um, carbon storage, carbon capture and storage, CSS, CCS, if, if, we, if we invested in these kind of methods, what we would be able to do is we would be able to continue in the short term having a relatively cheap technology source of energy and also that we, we, we that would be essentially carbon neutral without having some kind of some kind of economic economic disaster. What, what's important is that we understand too that um, carbon dioxide and, and emissions aren't necessarily bad if we have filtration systems, if we avoid the toxic chemicals that are difficult to get out of our environment, if we avoid nuclear power, which will take a long time to get rid of. Essentially, what we can do with fossil fuels, if we maintain a proper balance, and if we invest money into the right kind of fossil fuel burning, we can have a solution that is both economical and equitable and good for the environment. So, I urge you to close this motion. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And um, I'd like to invite Johnny Finley to close for the proposition. Keeping up with the Kardashians. Because apparently it's mentioned in every debate. I think that guy's not. At least we can break our, or keep up our two week record. <laughs> right. Um, we've heard, I think, quite convincingly and quite comprehensively the point, or the argument, for the existence of global warming and the badness of fossil fuels made by my colleague Caelan. Uh, I'm simply going to make three supplementary points about why we should therefore divest. And the three points are quite simple. One, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> go there. The second, it's the economical thing to do. And third, and this will be the more controversial one, because I'm truly hoping created be here. It's the conservative <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> I've never said I want create to be here before. <laughs> right. Well rather through the first two initially. First of all, it's the right thing to do. It's quite simple. It's a categorical imperative. We are morally obliged to not do something that is wrong. It is wrong to invest in fossil fuels that are destroying the environment and can't be sustained in the long term. If we are investing in it, we're sustaining it. The industry, that's wrong. Stop doing it. No, thank you. <laughs> that's quite simple. No, thank you. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, by the way, it worked. It, it's worked in the past, divestment. It worked for a part of in the 1980s. It clearly does work, no matter what the naysayers say. Usually, nay. Second, it is the economical thing to do. We've heard a lot about uh, how we're going to offset carbon emissions or whatever. Even if we accept, even if we go with those mad people over at Spike.com who think there is no global warming, there's still finite resources. That's why we call them non renewable. We're going to reach peak oil, we're going to reach peak gas, they're going to run out. It's not a secure investment. It's not a secure investment for a pension fund if 50 years down the line there's going to be an economic and environmental catastrophe because it's run out. It's not profitable. It's not sustainable. No. Third, this is what I want to <laughs> To the conservatives who might be in the room or listening on the end, I doubt it. I have to ask. No, 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 no. On the, on the, uh, 
on the microphone. We Hundreds know. of listeners carry on. Yeah, but we don't, we don't attract a conservative audience. We're not much anymore. Right. Um, I have to ask you, what exactly are you conserving? If your answers contain any of the following words, profits, or national sovereignty, or ethnic purity, or then I might as well give up, because you're not conservative I'm speaking to. However, if you value more fundamental, old-fashioned, conservative principles, such as individual freedom and responsibility, and actually preserving and cherishing our inheritance so we can pass it on to the next generation, then we can have a discussion. It's inevitable, as I said, that we are going to run out of fossil fuels. It's inevitable that a society that is utterly dependent on them, such as ours, is therefore going to face an existential crisis. Now, how would a conservative react to that crisis? Would he, or she, or well, if he is a conservative, he's unlikely. It would be on those, but um, would he suggest? Would he suggest? Oh, cripes! We have invested in renewable energy, but now we need it. Um, we don't have time for the market to rectify this. We need massive state investment in establishing a renewable industry. Let's have mass global confiscation of wealth, such as being proposed in, in Thomas Piketty's capital, the Global Wealth Tax. Let's have that. Is any conservative going to advocate that? Because that's what you would need to do to pay for it that far down the line when it's such a pressing issue. Or is a conservative going to simply say, I refuse to take no for an answer, Mother I'm going to keep, keep digging. I'm going to keep drilling. I'm going to drain you for every drop of oil that you might possibly need. And once it's done, once it's done, maybe then I'll have a lifeless, soulless, joyless, beautyless us to pass on to my children. Yes. <laughs> we currently have enough reserves for the next 100 years, and within the next de- couple of decades, we expect to have nuclear fusion. We expect to have thorium reactors, which will be able to sustain us indefinitely in a much cleaner and a cheaper way than renewables possibly might. Well, I think, first of all, the estimates for, for peak, as opposed to running out, are considerably close to that. And we're going to have to start rebalancing our investments in our economy whenever we get to peak, as opposed to when it runs out. So I would say it would be a good time to start taking money away from the destructive industry and rechanneling towards a constructive industry as early as possible. That's what a conservative would do. A conservative would say, I'm not going to destroy my inheritance my, that was given to me as a sacred trust by my forebears and is entrusted with me to pass on to my children. I'm going to preserve it. How am I going to preserve that? Am I going to depend 20 or 50 or 100 years down the line on the state to come and say, oh, well, you messed up your investments, but it's OK, we'll take the money now and use it for what you should have done. Or would they say, or would they say, I will take the initiative now. I will use my initiative, I will use my innovation, I will use my courage and daring, all those things that conservatives claim to value, to put my wealth voluntarily, take it out of something that is destructive and unsustainable, put it into something that is good, Therefore, down the line, we don't have to resort to something more desperate. 
No, I mentioned, or at least I meant to mention, Edmund Burke. But because I didn't, this is awkward. However, <laughs> he said, and he's, he's the senior's a great conservative icon, um, the cliche that's often attributed to him is, the only thing that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So whether evil is an overnight state confiscating people's wealth <coughs> to save the species, or a dead planet completely bereft of everything we love about it, let's not do nothing. Thank you. To close for the opposition and the debate for this evening is Mr. Stefan Ivaniski. Thank you for that last clap. Ladies and gentlemen, here's something I have heard from the proposition physics, physics, thermodynamics, and entropy. Imagine that you have a ton of coal and you burn that ton of coal to melt some silicon into a small solar panel, which allows you to right, light your house up for the next 15, 20 years tops. Whereas the same amount of coal would keep that house lit up for the next 100 years. You're wasting three quarters of your coal trying to go for something which doesn't work, won't work, and has no chance of working. To create a solar cell, you need to burn more carbon dioxide, you need to burn more fossil fuels, creating more carbon dioxide, and that solar cell will not have any chance of reclaiming in its entire world. Solar cell, cells, windmills, and all the other green technologies need energy. And that energy comes from fossil fuels. That energy that goes into developing <coughs> renewables has to be dug up from the earth, burned for carbon dioxide. On that point, sir. Of course. Um, it, it's, it uses fossil fuels now, but would that not be seen as an investment in itself, using our remaining reserves to establish <coughs> yes, a green base growth? Exactly. We <laughs> use our reserves now to create something that gives us less energy than the reserves we've already used. We'd be better off just locking up the coal in a cellar and enjoying life than burning all the coal in one go to create something which will only work for a short period of time before it breaks down and degrades completely. And that happens because government grants are completely disrupting the market. On that point, sir. Just a moment, please. I'll address any queries and point examples in the casual debate, floor debate afterwards, with any particulars. In Germany, we have huge grants on domestic soil panels and domestic windmills. And even the law is such that whenever there is, as Germany rightly said, during the peak hours of production, not consumption, but during the peak hours of production, of, of energy production, coal-powered coal fire, coal power stations have to pay money to take that electricity off their hands. Instead of selling money to the national grid, the German coal-powered fire stations are paying money just so that their 
power plants won't break. A power plant can't be shut down. It takes a week to shut down a proper turbine-driven power plant. And you can't, so they have to pay money to the grid subsidizing the solar plants and renewables because of stupid legislation which favors them. That raises the cost for German industry. And remember that in industry, the biggest cost is energy. In industry, if something is expensive, that means it requires a lot of energy to make. So if you spend a huge amount of money on a Prius, that doesn't mean that you've saved, then you're saving the environment. That means that you've burnt tons and tons of fossil fuels to create that little thing, pure Prius, that you'll drive around, show off your, your hippie friend. If you put a solar panel on your roof, hoping to make the neighbors jealous or raise your property prices, you are using government grants and fossil fuels to create that, put it on your roof, and enjoy for the next 10, 20 years that it will last before it breaks down. I just accepted a placement with a local company which is developing car engines. And in all the industry, the biggest emphasis is on reducing cost. And since energy is the biggest cost, I would likely spend the next 15 months reducing the energy of a big aluminium foundry here outside Belfast. The engines developed there are getting more efficient with each generation. You can see they have a beautiful display of all the engines and you can see how generation upon generation the engines are getting better, smaller, more efficient and more powerful. <coughs> so I will ask the opposition to get off their soapboxes and think about what they can do to improve the state of the earth. To cultivate their own gardens rather than look at others to sponsor their <coughs> stupid ideas. They are fighting with windmills, they are donkey shop charging the windmill right now, but for our money, for the taxpayers' money. On that point, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, why should we divest from fossil fuels? Because we are burning more fossil fuels trying to create renewables than we would burn if we are producing more carbon dioxide by trying to go for renewables which are uneconomical and will produce more carbon dioxide to produce than they will give back of or offset, if you will, during their working life. We are burning more carbon dioxide trying to produce renewable energy sources than we would if we was just business as usual. We will be slowly increasing efficiency of every single item of industry. So, so I would ask you to do what I do, Miss Marie Louise does, or Owen. Cultivate your own garden. Do go into a profession that will reduce the energy consumption, the global energy consumption. I mean, I just turned out a job opportunity where you would, I will spend the next year developing electric heaters and air conditioning, which would reduce a fraction of the energy that normal air conditioning and electric heaters, as we are using right now, would use. That job opportunity is there, waiting for you. Instead of standing here, thinking what to do with renewables, blah, blah, blah. You could go for that job and really make a difference. Develop an air conditioning that will use that heat from the room rather than burning rather than using electricity that comes from gas or oil. 
do that. That's the thing that you should do. Not renewables, just reduce consumption through your own work, on your own, in your own means. Thank you. fossil fuels for energy consumption goes. I was going to get to this by the end of the time. Uh, nuclear fusion, on the other hand, is literally never going to happen if we're funding it. It would be insanely good if it was, but it's not, and it's not going to be. Um, and fossil fuels, we've got other things too, like petrochemicals, and there's quite a large area of research dedicated to finding much better ways of producing things at the minute. Uh, that don't involve fossil fuels, uh, using like biochemistry instead. So, uh, to answer the question, yeah, kind of, I don't know. Okay, thank you much. Um, I don't believe there's a response to that. So, do we have any questions for the opposition at this side of the house? Yes. And Stefan made a point at one point in the speech or in the point of information that uh, fusion is just around the corner. If fusion is 10, 20 years away, doesn't it make sense to divest from fossil fuels? 10, 20 years, exactly. We need something to keep us going for the next 10, 20 years. We need to use fossil fuels to produce. And we can't just say, right, we're shutting down all the oil wells, we're closing the coal mines, blowing them off, shut, whatever. Well, fusion doesn't work. We need to keep our beds open. We can't simply say that fusion is definitely there, we won't be using fossil fuels ever again. That's the end of that. We must keep them going. Thank you very much. Um, just quick point. I can't believe somebody mentioned closing the coal mines and Craig's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any points of stating in the motion? <coughs> yes, sorry. Well, I mean, this is something uh, Mr. Finley mentioned, but I think it's something, especially because the points of contention so far, needs to be brought up. That is, how should we see it from the perspective of an individual or an institution? to divest from fossil fuels. So what incentive is there for us to do it or lack thereof? I mean, as the university's finding out, research grants are expensive and oftentimes high yield, 5% or upwards, are fossil fuel bonds. So why should we as individuals, maybe with a lifespan of 60 years, maybe including our kids, maybe some more, but why should us as an individual divest whenever as you know, as parties, we stand potentially to gain. Okay, thank you much. Um, I have a brief proposition and opposition. I believe it's geared here, but. Well, <clears throat> I, I, can, I can throw a fact at you. I can say that the uh, 2014 report by the British Law Commission established that short term 
financial, or purely short-term financial return is not actually a particularly good interpretation of an organisation's or an investor's fiduciary duty. There you go, there's a word for everyone. Or for me at least. Um, you have to take into account long-term instabilities and unsustainable uh, fossil fuels that are, that are as, as I say, premised on a carbon bubble. Because if government policy goes any way toward implementing the Paris Agreement, then there will be less and less extraction of fossil fuels, so it will, will not be profitable to invest in it. That would be very unwise. Thank you very much. And have a response to the Yeah. Um, well, I like that point because it really highlights um, highlights something important. Why should we do anything? What incentive do we have to divest as individuals or as institutions? And I, I think, um, well, really, even though our side is the, <laughs> is the opposition in this case, I think we have, if we have an incentive to, to divest, if we have a reason, it's, it's probably a moral one. I think as an institution, universities, uh, the university and others have an obligation to be leading in that course of action and being an example, taking that course of action, which is after debate and analysis determined to be the right the one that is best for us and our children and our grandchildren. And so even though we argued on this side that fossil fuels aren't irreconcilable with caring about the environment, I still think, we still think that there is essentially an obligation in that sense to care about some of the greater surroundings beyond just simple economic Okay, thank you very much. Um, do we have a question for the proposition? Please come gentlemen. I think the opposition made a good point in saying that it indeed takes energy to produce, for example, solar energy, produce solar panels. But there has been research reports giving estimates that it would take about, up about four years to recover the energy that we have to put into a large solar panel if we put up a solar park, say somewhere in the Arizona desert. Well, they might be operating for about 20, 30 years, so in the end, they would give us a net benefit of clean energy in return. Okay, thank you. Yes, I look at those numbers, and those numbers, first of all, claim that it's always sunny. They also claim that solar panels work better with more sunlight, which they don't. Solar panels are semiconductors, so the more sunlight there is, the warmer it gets, the less efficient solar panels are until they basically drop down because they can't conduct electricity. Solar panels on a large scale simply do not work. They are only economically viable with huge government grants, as we see here, and only then they will take, it will take upwards of 20 years to pay back. But there is hope, which is MERS. MERS and a tower with a big boiler and steam turbine. Those have a future. That, that technology has not been developed yet, but could be a possibility. It is an alternative, so to speak, to fossil fuels, though again, MERS cost huge amounts of money. MERS need to be maintained. It is more likely to have industrial applications than energy producing ones. So we would still need fossil fuels to power our homes, but 
solar panels, which are basically mirrors reflecting onto a boiler, have industrial applications as basically big boilers. Okay, thank you very much. Um, do you have any points of stating on the motion? Um, I think it's all well and good saying like solar power will help and all that, but solar energy actually killed more people in the UK last year than nuclear did. So it's something else considered. There may be less of us because of it, so there'll be less fossil fuels used. Okay, let's see. Positive spin on that. Um, so you have a response to sorry, I'll start with do you want to clarify? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we get a point of clarification? How did they die? Yeah. Uh, um, sunstroke. Uh, <laughs> 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 Some solar energy, like not harvesting it. Stalin? <laughs> Insulin. Okay, so people installing <laughs> solar panels. Um, oh, we mean genuinely, like from. Why are they doing it? <laughs> yeah. Not just from the sun. <laughs> okay. um, oh, well. <laughs> because, so, so, construction is in itself a health hazard, so we shouldn't build things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I can see the point, the opposition has <laughs> The opposition might be except there. We accept the concession. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep your swords. Appreciate that. Thank you. Time for one last round of questions. Anyone for the proposition? Yes? Um, I, I looked up since I said, yeah, I'm wrong with it. 40%. 40%. But the point still stands that it both the, the revenue gain from extraction and agriculture in particular, which is very based on hydrocarbons, both for fertilizers, which is very gas intensive, and for being, like, logistics, you need to transport that. They're both, in the, econ in the economic south, they're both very dependent on the revenue from oil sales. It's all very well and good for us in our country with like 200 years of industrial development to suddenly start lecturing places like India and China on their responsibility, when effectively this is a problem we've created ourselves. So why is it that we have effectively mitigated the moral responsibility to the South, who are now both going to see the most consequences from global warming, and are now also the major polluters? So how would you rectify that contradiction? Thank you very much. Response um, to the proposition? I would just <clears throat> say that, first of all, I suspect, and I may get this wrong, but you got the agriculture thing wrong, so it's I suspect quite a lot of agricultural production that goes on in third world countries is, is overproduction that's meant for export and isn't like even going, isn't even feeding the people there. They probably survive on much less production. It's also trying to fuel industrialization, uh, which which doesn't need to be happening in the way that it's happening because again the industrialization is for export to the first world. So I think I think that, that would be all part of a uh, you're you're suggesting that by investing by disinvesting in industrialization you get more agriculture. For instance, disinvesting in fossil fuels, just get more agriculture and therefore more leaf in production. I don't think follows if you took an actual holistic green approach to to the third world 
Methods, we should probably be helping them financially in that regard. So I, I, I think it's a point we'll take. Okay, thank you very much. Um, do you have any questions for the opposition? Yes. Uh, Randy, uh, we've become so tantalizingly close to this, we've actually touched on it several times, even in uh, the previous question. Um, nuclear power, we've talked a lot about uh, renewables, we've talked about, about green energy, as you said. What about the glowing green energy? What about nuclear power, which is far more it's just orders of magnitude more efficient uh, than what we're using currently. It's not about to run out as coal will eventually. So uh, we were talking about taking carbon out of the atmosphere and all the rest of it. That's just delaying the inevitable. That's just uh, mitigating the effects of something that doesn't eliminate the fact that it will run out. Now, you, you haven't really touched on nuclear power. You haven't really brought any counter-arguments to nuclear power. And nuclear power kills less people than, say, for instance, coal production. Hundreds of people across the world and not only that, but also now taking consideration black lung and all the rest of it. So, nuclear power, what is your kind of response to this? The huge startup costs are a big problem, as well as the mining of uranium itself. But I accept that nuclear power is the best, but as we saw in Germany, people don't want it. If people don't want it, they are willing to replace it with gas and coal. I'm not going to force Germany to go back to nuclear, stop being silly. If they want to have gas and coal, they are allowed to have gas and coal. They need something to run their factories, they need something to produce their cars and keep the houses alight. So nuclear power would be great if people want it, but people don't want it. So they are forced to go back to coal, oil and gas. Okay, thank you very much. And um, we have a final point of abstention motion. Yes. I think that the massive change in general culture around the world needs to change. We need to be more accepting of not using fossil fuels in everyday life. We all throw away uh, recyclable materials every day. I mean, that's only one aspect. Uh, I just generally think that the, the culture needs to change here in the West and all over the world that it's no longer going to be viable to take the easy option and just jump the car anymore. Uh, we're going to have to use bikes and walks everywhere that we go. And I think the major challenge is going to be convincing state governments to pop up there. Um, and of course the oil corporations, etc. as well. So. Just saying, would you be advocating a cultural shift? <laughs> 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 Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> that's fine, <laughs> yeah, um, cultural shift, it happens all the time, but um, perhaps it is necessary in this case, we are facing one of the worst ecological disasters, sorry, environmental disasters, uh, if this doesn't change. I am inherently pessimistic towards human nature. We always wait until the worst possible occasion to start making changes. We are inherently reactionary. Uh, and I think that's what it's going to take 
purpose I need to sort of wake up and, and see the damage that we're doing. But at that stage, as Cam said, it could be too late. Thank you very much. And we have a response to the <laughs> Yeah, uh, I agree entirely. Uh, and the point comes back to nuclear again, even though something you brought up. Uh, as the previous point said, should we tell Germany to stop being silly and adopt nuclear power? Well, given that the alternative is that they go on participating in environmental destruction, maybe we shouldn't tell them to stop being silly. <laughs> Uh, and also, yeah, uh, well, individual effort isn't really going to actually change all that much compared to uh, changing governmental habits. Uh, that's probably a nonsense phrase, but let's pretend it makes sense. Uh, we spend quite a lot of fossil fuels on building things in other countries and then shipping them to the first world countries. And it would be nice if we stopped doing that, although we're probably not going to any time soon. Yeah, uh, that's, that's all i got to say. Yeah, we do need a cultural shift. Thank you very much. Yes, As much as I would like the idea of invading Germany, I don't think it would really <laughs> I don't think that increasing our military spending is how we should address global warming. <laughs> it will work if we nuke Germany, the nuclear winter will <laughs> keep the global temperatures very low. I just did that for your team here. You two want to step out? Yeah, but again, individual effort. For the next year, myself and most of my colleagues from the mechanical engineering course, design engineering, and analytical engineering, we will be being paid good money on a year-long placement, increasing efficiency of every aspect of industry. Same with computer science. Computer science, right now, the focus in ICT is not to increase the power, but to improve coding so that the programs are actually more energy efficient, more resource efficient, will use ultimately less electricity to power our computers. So we won't really need a state government intervention. Industry must reduce costs if it wants to stay competitive and it does reduce costs and it will keep on reducing costs. Thank you very much. Um, thanks to the debate. So we're going to move on to a vote. So the first vote is going to be based on your personal opinion. Anybody can vote in this. Um, so if it is your personal opinion that this house would divest in fossil fuels, please raise your hand and say aye. So divest from fossil fuels. <laughs> um, and if you agree with the opposition and believe that this house should not or would not invest or divest in fossil fuels, please raise your hand and say nay. Four. <laughs> and all those who have stayed in the motion, please in your personal opinion. He was waiting back there. Three. And this one is with our this one um, you can move forward with your new membership card. So if you have that handy, please raise that. Uh, this one is based on speakerability. 
So if you think that the propositions go better tonight, please raise your hand on your card and say bye. Yeah. Eight. And if you think the opposition spoke better tonight, please raise your hand and say nay. Or whatever to prove it. Not one of them. Okay, two. And all of those who have stayed in the motion. I'm sorry, all of those who think that both propositions are equally good and equally and equally rubbish as opposition. Uh, one, two, three, seven. So I believe that the proposition path is it. next week you'll find a promotion on the day it'll be a BP style debate um, and you'll have 15 minutes to prepare please speak to me after the debate um, it's for speaker of the year and our conversation is only from 26th of April so if you'd like to sign up slash pay please see me after the debate thank you Hello Ben. Are you did you enjoy the debate, Ben? I really hope you did, Ben. He's doing something. Just zone everyone out, Benjamin. It's just me and you right now, okay? Okay. The conversation money, £35. I want it in at the next possible opportunity. And if it isn't, the boys will be round. Bye bye, Ben. <laughs> <laughs>